Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Cybersecurity Without Insanity podcast, focusing on how you can manage cyber risks and regulations without losing your sanity. I'm Sam Glynn and it is November 24th, 2023. Uh, This week's news, uh, there's a lot of interesting stories about how uh, cyber attackers are um, using different techniques to generate income. And given the fact that we're kind of nearing the end of 2023, I'm sure many of you are currently finalizing your income generation strategies for 2024. So here's the top three from the world of cybercrime. Uh, I should really get the background music from Top of the Pops on this one. Uh, A new entry at number three is using the regulators. Back at number two is using cyber attacks. But still at number one for the 1197th week in a row is using your staff. So let's get into the details. At number three, income generation strategy number three is using regulators. Uh, When a victim of a cyber attack failed to pay a ransomware demand, the attackers informed the US Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, about the victim firm not disclosing a cyber incident that impacted customer data and operational information. This is according to a recent report in Bleeping Computer. Apparently, while many ransomware and extortion gangs have threatened to report breaches and data theft to the SEC in the hope that it puts pressure on the victim to pay the ransom so that they stay quiet, this may be the first public confirmation that they've actually gone and done it. So what? Well, the days of firms concealing the fact that data under their control has been accessed by unauthorised individuals may be over. If regulations like GDPR haven't already forced disclosure, it looks like some cyber attackers are going to force it. On to income generation strategy number two. And it's not a shock to say that cyber attackers use cyber attacks to generate income. But here's a story about the chief operating officer, the COO, of a US network security firm who has pleaded guilty to compromising the IT systems of two hospitals in order to generate business for his company. This is according to a recent report in Info Security magazine. His attacks are said to have caused over $800,000 in financial harm to the hospitals. Although the former CEO could have faced a jail term of up to 10 years, prosecutors are recommending 57 months of home detention uh, or probation due to the fact that he has been diagnosed with a rare and incurable form of cancer and a potentially dangerous vascular condition. So what? Well, uh, you could say something about karma, but I wonder which hospital is treating the COO for his illness. And the number one income generation strategy is using your staff. And here is a quote from the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. The most common type of cyber attack occurs when cyber criminals tap into business email systems, intercept an invoice and change the bank details. Some of the easiest ways to avoid such attacks are to implement multi-factor authentication. This is a quote from the Canberra Times and shared recently by Risky Business News. It comes as the Australian government has launched a new cyber health check programme for small and medium businesses, allowing them to undertake a free assessment of their security measures. So what's my point? Well, most attacks are not sophisticated and most organisations shouldn't focus on James Bond using sophisticated techniques to break in in the dead of night. They should first focus on Jim the burglar fooling one of their staff 
into transferring money to Jim's bank account. So there's the top three from the week. Uh, in terms of other things that I've been involved in during the week, uh, I stumbled upon an interesting uh, discussion on LinkedIn about the risk if your IT service provider is also your information security officer. This was a post from Brian Blakely, who posted about the dangers of an IT service provider also providing IT security oversight services, sometimes referred to as CISO services. My own thoughts on the topic are that IT security is not the same as IT service. Being good at one does not mean you are good at the other. Uh, And even if an IT service provider has the relevant security expertise in-house, how can the obvious conflict of interest be avoided? And where is this potential conflict, you may ask? Well, an effective CISO, or security oversight person, uh, must regularly check the work of the organization's IT service provider. If the CISO works for the IT service provider, this is an employee checking the quality of their employer's work and then, then reporting their findings back to their employer's client. If the CISO discovers serious gaps, there is a significant risk that the CISO will be encouraged by the person who pays their wages to downplay the significance of these gaps when reporting back to the client. It's a clear conflict of interest. Now, I know other people online have said that, well, you know, if you're a CISO who's employed by the client directly, you also have a conflict of interest in that you may be reporting back on the quality of your own work. But if you're a CISO, you're probably in a second line role and therefore not doing the security work, you're overseeing the work of others. So to me, the conflict is not as stark as the CISO who's paid by the IT service provider. In terms of what other people think, I mean, I know I provide independent IT security advice and oversight services, and I frequently audit the work of IT service providers. So I'm obviously biased. But just because I'm biased doesn't mean I'm wrong. That's it for this week. Until next time, take care.